chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. If you need a Bible, just ask Randy. He's, he's got one there if you need one. Right over here, Randy. Or Nate. First Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even... If some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let me pray. Lord, we just ask that you would help us as we get into the text this morning, as we reflect on what it means to be fathers and husbands who live with our wives in an understanding way, who love them, who rejoice in them, who are thankful constantly to you for them. Lord, who fulfill the role that you've given us as men, and more than that, Lord, who understand what it means to be a man in the first place as you've created us. And Lord, as we understand your word, that we would rejoice in the fact that you have given us marriage as a picture of the gospel, or that you intended that from before the foundation of the world to image yourself in us and to image the gospel of your son in our marriages. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is Father's Day, so I'll start by saying, Happy Father's Day. This is the day in which our families basically thank us and celebrate us as dads. But most importantly, I think it should be the day in which we reflect on our responsibility to them. I think most men today do not really know what it is that they bargained for when they got married right? Or when they started having children. Andrew Peach, who wrote um, an article in First Things that I read on a blog this week, talked about the reality of fatherhood and marriage versus the dream of fatherhood and marriage. And here's what he said. Most fathers-to-be suppose that their old ego-centered lives will continue more or less unabated after the child arrives with the exception of a few more obstacles and demands on their time, their involvement with their children is envisioned as something that is manageable and marginal. Nothing like a complete transformation and abrupt end to their former life really enters men's minds. But then the onslaught begins. 
And a man begins to realize that these people, his wife and children, are literally and perhaps even intentionally killing his old self. All around him, everything is changing without any signs of ever reverting back to the way they used to be. Into the indefinite future, nearly every hour of his days threatens to be filled with activities that as a single person or even a childless husband, he never would have chosen. Due to the continual interruptions of sleep, he is always mildly fatigued. Due to the long-term financial concerns, he is cautious in spending, forsaking old consumer habits and personal indulgences, assuming he's mature, by the way. He finds his wife equally exhausted and preoccupied with the children. Connections with former friends start to slip away. Traveling with his children is like traveling third class in Bulgaria. (laughs) And the changes go on and on. In short, he discovers in a terrifying realization what Dostoevsky proclaimed long ago. Active love is a harsh and fearful reality compared with love and dreams. Fatherhood is just not what he bargained for. Sadly, sadly, many men do not know what they were supposed to be bargaining for as adults. And when they learn what the reality is, they often do not remain faithful to that task. And there are always two reasons for this. One, they don't know what they were supposed to do, and their expectations are shot full of holes, and they're frustrated about that. Or two, they don't care what they were supposed to do, and their expectations are shot full of holes, and they're frustrated about that. I can't do anything about whether you care or not. Can't. Can't change your heart. But I can make sure you know the truth about what it means to be a man. You need to understand from the beginning, from the beginning, you were created in God's image. God said, let us make man in our image. Male and female, he created them. And essential to image bearing as a man is having a wife and having children and leading the family. God saw that it was not that man was alone, and he said, that is not good. And so he made for him a wife so that the man could leave his father and mother and join with his wife. The two would become one flesh. And then he told the man to be fruitful and multiply, to have dominion over the earth. This is what you were created to do. This is what it means to be a man. It means to grow up, get married, have children, lead your family, work to provide. Even the curse reveals what we were supposed to do. Man was out working. And when God came and cursed man, what was the curse he applied to him? When you are working, it's going to be hard for you. Weeds are going to grow up. It's going to be more difficult labor for you. He doesn't tell that to the woman. Tells the woman that it's going to be difficult 
childbearing. It's going to be difficult for her to have to submit to his leadership because rather than loving her and leading her in a way that reflects humility and love, he's going to put his thumb down on her. And she, because of her sin, is going to resist. Men were designed to lead. Men were designed to be married, to have children. They were designed to provide for them. That is God's purpose. Now, I realize in some cases there are single guys, Paul talks about them in 1 Corinthians 7, or single gals who have a gift to remain single. But that doesn't apply to most of the men I know. Because Paul also says to the men who burn with passion, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And I talk to very few single guys who aren't burning with passion. I I hardly ever meet one, in fact. There are some that have that gift, I'm not sure how they have it aside from being a eunuch, but it must be, must be a supernatural work of the Spirit of God. But that isn't the vast majority of you. That isn't the mass, vast majority of you. And even if you have that gift that doesn't overthrow the purpose for masculinity, he designed you in this manner to provide a picture of the gospel. And being a man is not just about fulfilling your role. Masculinity was given to picture the gospel. Ephesians chapter 5, if you'll look there briefly, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Paul, the apostle, is comparing marriage to the gospel. First, he tells the wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, saying that the husband is the head of wife as Christ is the head of his church. And then he tells the husbands, husbands, verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, the same way that Christ loves his church and sanctifies his church in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Why does Christ nourish and cherish the church? Because it's his body which he is the head. And what are you as a man supposed to do with your wife? You're supposed to nourish her and cherish her because she is your body of which you are the head. That's the relationship dynamic that's being discussed here. And he goes on and he says this, verse 30, because we are members of his body. Verse 31, therefore, quoting from Genesis 2, getting back to the purpose of all of it. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. What mystery? The idea that a man and a woman come together and become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and what does Paul say? And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You hear that? From the beginning, God designed men and women to image himself You cannot image God with just man. You must have woman. God said, let us create man in our own image, male and female. He created them. He gave them with, he gave them various distinctions, which marked them out. And together when they get married, they give the fullest, 
the fullest picture of who God is as one flesh. And they give the fullest picture of what the gospel of God's glorious son is as a married couple. That was the purpose of it. That was the purpose of it. Our marriages picture the gospel. And when we fail to be faithful to our role, men, when we fail to be faithful to our role, we image or picture a lie to the world. You know, we're image bearers of God. Image bearers of God. So when we sin, what's the picture we give to the world of God? It's a lie, isn't it? It's a lie. We are reflecting a lie to people about God all the time. Our lives are continuously doing that, aren't they? As a married couple, husbands, when you don't love your wife as Christ loved the church and sanctify her, when you don't live with her in an understanding way, you are picturing for the world a lie about the gospel. You are distorting the picture that God gave to show the world what Christ and his church is supposed to look like. Especially divorce. Why does God hate divorce? Because God doesn't abandon his bride. And when we do, what do we demonstrate to the world? We demonstrate to them a picture of a God who abandons his bride. Our marriages picture the gospel. And sadly, sadly, we fail to understand the purpose of our gender distinctions. And thus we attack God by trying to blur those distinctions in our culture, don't we? All this neutral stuff, where all of a sudden you don't have male and female stuff, now it's like this unisex stuff. This attempt in the culture's mind to somehow wipe out masculinity and femininity is an attack on the image of God. The attack on the sanctity of marriage that happened in the last year in this state is an attack on the image of God. Frankly, the killing of unborn life is an attack on the image of God. What we are constantly doing as a people is finding a way to attack what was given for the purpose of imaging God because at our core, whether we know it when we're doing it or not, we hate him. And it is only by the work of his spirit in our lives, changing our hearts, that we love him and come to love his image and are willing to give up ourselves for the purpose of telling the truth about him. That's a work his spirit does in us by the gospel. Let me be clear to you dads and husbands out there. You have no, no greater privilege And no greater responsibility in this life than that of husband and father. None. And frankly, at the heart of this family relationship is your responsibility as a husband. What your children need to see from you more than anything else, other than to see you loving Jesus, is to see you loving your wife. 
And you can say you love Jesus all you want, but they will put as much stock in that claim as they can authenticate through the way that you treat your wife. If you're a single man, you might wonder, what difference does this make to me? I'm a single guy. Well, first, most of you will marry. And you need to be learning now about the kind of husband God calls you to be. Second, in the interim period, you can serve God's church well. Take the gospel to unbelievers well. Model the kind of life that you will lead once you are married, before you are married. Demonstrating that you do not need marriage to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. You don't need a woman to come along and put you in order. And you're ready to lead her. And ladies, don't, don't marry a guy who can't demonstrate he's ready to lead his own life, thinking that somehow you'll come in and clean up his act. However, most of you are married or will be married. And most of you have children or will have children. So this message hits home immediately for the great majority of you. Understanding this, Understanding this calling we have as men, as husbands, look at me with first at look with me at first Peter three seven. Look with me at first Peter three seven. Let's see what does it look like to be a husband who fulfills his role properly, who pictures the gospel faithfully. First Peter three seven. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So what does it look like to be faithful to your calling as a husband? I want to break this into three parts here. First, the command. Peter gives us a command. Husbands, he gives us a clear command. What is it? Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. What does that mean? What does it mean, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way? What does that look like? What does that mean? Well, the first word is likewise. That word likewise. If you look up to chapter 3, verse 1, you see that word used there. Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. So even some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Now, likewise is there. You can continue to go back and say, well, where does that likewise come from? Likewise what? You say likewise, right? You're wondering, what does that connect to? And so keep going back. Look at verse 13 of chapter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. In other words, be subject to the governing authorities. Likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. We don't submit to the authority of our wives. That's not what the likewise means there. It doesn't mean we submit to the leadership of our wives or to the headship of our wives. However, it does carry over the nature of submission. Submission to what? Submission to the needs of our wives. We subordinate our own little world and our own little agenda to meet the needs of the woman who is our wife. That's what it means. 
And he goes on there. He doesn't just say, likewise, submit your own world to the needs of your wives, essentially. But he goes on, he says this, live with your wives in an understanding way. Interestingly, there's a couple important words here. The first word is live. It's in the present tense, which means this idea of continuous action. Live, be living, continue living with your wife in this way. Not live and do it once. Not you have lived. Not live sometime in the future. Live now and continuously be living with your wife in an understanding way. What does it mean by understanding way? This word live, um, to live with your wife is the idea, uh, it's a Greek word, it's a sunoikos, which is, the first word is a little uh, uh, preposition, which essentially means with, and the second word, oikos, is house. It's like with house, and you're going, well, how's that helpful? I don't even understand what that means. In the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, about 100 plus years before Jesus was born, they decided to translate the Old Testament into Greek. That Greek translation of the Old Testament uses this word whenever it refers to sexual intimacy. It's the idea of a deep experiential knowledge. It's an intimate sort of knowledge. Husbands, live with your wives with that kind of gnosis is the next word there, knowledge. And he goes on, he says this, as the weaker vessel... He's saying we're to go on living with our wives as those who have a deep, experiential, and intimate knowledge of who they are. That's what he's saying. And then he says this caveat as the weaker vessel. Now, most of your texts put the weaker vessel after showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. But technically, the way that grammatically connects is with living with your wives in an understanding way. Live with your wives in an understanding way as the weaker vessel. You're supposed to continually pursue intimately knowing and caring for your wife as the weaker vessel. She is weaker physically and emotionally and possibly even spiritually. This is a comparative word, okay? It's not saying you all are big and strong and she's weak, right? What it's saying is she's weaker, right? So what is he saying about you as well? You're weak also, She just happens to be the weaker vessel. Live with her as the weaker vessel in an understanding way. Now, a lot of people struggle with this in our culture. But wait a minute. Women are just as strong as men and emotionally and physically. And how can you say that? That is so counter-cultural. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Keep your hands there in 1 Peter. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. So that I don't say Peter's Peter's the only one saying it. Paul also said it. That may not help you any, because you may not like what Peter or Paul have to say. Look what he says in verse 12 of 1 Timothy 2. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. It's not a role. Now, quiet doesn't mean she's not allowed to speak. Okay, quiet's talking about the attitude of submission, And he goes on, he says, for Adam, here's the reason. In other words, the reason Paul says that women are not allowed to be pastors slash elders in the church, they're not allowed to teach or be an authority over men in the church, the reason he says they're not allowed to is because what? Look at the next verse, verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. He grounds it in the order of creation. It isn't 
an effect of the fall that it's this way. It was that way in God's good creation prior to the fall. Prior to the fall, man was to lead his wife. After the fall, man is still to lead his wife. The problem is, what it means to lead your wife has been so utterly perverted by our sin. Not that it wasn't designed that way in the first place. And he says this is the design. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And then he goes on, he talks about what happened in the fall. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And you go, wow, that's a smack to women right there. Adam wasn't deceived. The woman was deceived, right? What is Paul saying there? The woman was the weaker vessel. And Satan effectively lied to her. You remember this scene? Eve's in the garden. The serpent comes to her and says, did God really say not to eat of that fruit? She says, well, he said we could eat of all the trees, but not that one, or else we'd die. Oh, surely you won't die. Come on. She goes, well, the fruit does look pretty good. Yeah, it does. God doesn't want you to know. You know, he wa- he's afraid that you'll be like him. You can be like him. Come on, eat it. Oh, okay. So she eats some. And then what does it say next thing, next thing that happened? And then she went walking through the garden looking for Adam, wondering where he was so she could give him some fruit as well. No, it says, and then she turned to her husband and gave him some. Right? And what Paul says is interesting. Eve was deceived. Adam was not. Is that a compliment to Adam? Eve was spiritually weaker. He was her head. He was supposed to protect her from that. He was just flat out obstinate and disobedient and rebellious. She was lied to. She was deceived. Adam failed. Eve was the one deceived in the garden. He was responsible for protecting her from that deceit, for leading her properly, and he failed. It's not a smack at women. That's a shot at Adam, isn't it? And men who don't lead the way we're supposed to, who don't recognize that God has given us women for the purpose of protecting them, of caring for them, of lovingly leading them. We need to understand that our wives, as weaker vessels, need us to be caring enough and sensitive enough and loving enough, in fact, man enough, to pursue intimately understanding them so we can lead them rightly. Your wife and my wife are different, aren't they? Now, there's a lot of similarities, and we can point to similarities between all women and all men, but there's a lot of differences as well. And I'm going to get to the similarities in a minute, but first I want to stress that you need to understand your wife. That's your job. You need to lead her in a manner that's best suited for her. This means that at times you need to adjust your life in ways that your friends may not have to in order to shepherd your wife appropriately. You aren't shepherding your friend's wives. And you shouldn't be wishing you were shepherding your friend's wife. You're shepherding your wife. Understand her. You can go to your buddies and complain, well, I wish my wife was more like so-and-so's wife because he gets to go out all the time and his wife's cool with that and I don't. Look, you have your wife. You chose her. You're responsible for her. Shepherd her appropriately and stop complaining she's not your friend's wife. 
Your friend has his own challenges with his own wife that he needs to shepherd her through. For example, uh, this last year, Teresa and I had a ton of things going on. I ran for office, as most of you know. Uh, We moved out of a house and into an apartment. We were building a new house. Uh, We were running the ministry. I was teaching at a Bible college uh, in Lancaster on the side. Um, And I could go down the list of all the things that were going on. And in the midst of all this, Teresa was homeschooling. And it got to the point where it was too much. It's too much for all the stuff that's going on. And so I chose to put the kids into um, a Christian school in town. I said, we got to do this. This is the best thing for you. I have to understand my wife well enough to know I need to step in and do this. I had overloaded her. And so I had to deal with the situation because I had put too much on her. I wasn't living with her in an understanding way, and so I needed to start living with her in an understanding way. I had put too much on her. And you know what was immediately going through my mind is the guilt. You know, you know, okay, well, you're going to put your kids in the school there. And what happens if they start learning cuss words, right? You're, you laugh. I'm not kidding. And all the garbage I heard from all these parents through the years when I was a youth pastor about how the godliest way to raise your children is to homeschool them. And if you're not, we question whether you really love Jesus as a parent. Meanwhile, most of their children are screwed up as adults now too. (laughs) Hate to say it. But the fact is, homeschooling's great, but it's not for every woman in every circumstance every year. It's a great alternative that our family likes to participate in and will probably participate in more. But I have to understand my wife. And if I don't have the kind of wife or she's not in the season of life where that's the best situation for our family, then we choose to educate our kids a different way. And I can't sit around and go, well, I wish my wife were strong enough to take it. I put so much on her anyways, I don't even ever cross my mind. But I hear guys do it. I hear some of the guys talk about, you know, well, you know, I wish my wife were capable of that, but she's really not. What? Just shut up. Go home and repent. You chose your wife. God gave her to you as a gracious gift. Now shepherd her appropriately. And don't sit around and wish she was like your friend's wives. Now, this takes being an active husband, and I want to give you a caution. I'm not saying... Understanding your wife means promoting her idolatry. It's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying find out what her idols are. What are the things she really loves and then massage those idols so she's happy? It's not what I'm saying. Does she like being babied? Then pamper her. Is she excessively needy? Then provide for that every chance you get. It's not what I'm saying. You need to understand what her idols are and lovingly confront them and ask her to repent. I'm also not saying, however, that you should be the Holy Spirit in this instance and nag her about them. You don't like it when she nags you about them or verbally abuse her with regard to them or withhold affection until she repents of them. I'm not saying that either. Unless you think I'm carrying this whole thing too far, I want you to see the condition that Peter puts on this command in chapter 3. Look what he says. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way as the weaker vessel. And then he says this, 
showing honor to the woman since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Hear that? Showing honor to the woman since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So second, as those who want to faithfully fulfill our role, there's a condition that accompanies the command. We're to show honor to her as a co-inheritor of the grace of life. Think of what that statement meant in the first century context. Do you know in the first century that men could actually abandon their wives? Do you know that? They could abandon them, give them a certificate of divorce, send them out poor. They could treat them like animals, abuse them. Much, you know, not to be funny, but much like the Middle East today. They could treat their women like you see happening under Sharia law in Islamic nations today. They could treat them as dogs. In fact, they weren't considered reliable as witnesses in court. Did you know that? That's why it's astounding that the Gospels record that the women were the first ones to see Jesus risen risen from the dead and why that must be a reliable witness in the Gospels because there's no way a man would have ever written that down unless it were true because it does not help his case because women are naturally considered liars in that century. That was the the culture they're in. This is the culture they're in. They have no rights. No property rights. They don't get 50%. In court, when you divorce, they got nothing. And yet, what Peter says is what? This is radical. Radical in this century. They're co-heirs with you with the grace of life. They're inheriting with you. Hear that? Major shift. Only men had inheritance rights. And he said, women have them them too. He comes along and says, these women are co-heritors, co-inheritors, because they are also in Christ. Therefore, honor them as you would a co-inheritor. And what do they co-inherit? The grace of life. That's eternal life. That means they're adopted as children, just as you are. That means they inherit God with you and with Jesus through faith. So treat her like God would want his daughter treated and show her honor. This woman is, just, is not just your wife. She's your sister in Christ, and she is God's daughter. So treat her as such. One of my friends and a well-known pastor, and friends and acquaintance email each other sort of way, um, Mark Driscoll, um, wrote or talked about eight areas to honor your wife. Some of you guys heard this before at the barbecue we had for men, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over them. Eight areas to honor your wife. One, honor your wife maritally. Honor your wife maritally. Your life belongs to her. Divorce is not an option. Trading her in for a newer model is not an option. Porn is not an option. Your eyes and your affections belong to her. Your friends, in lieu of her spending time with them, in lieu of spending time with her, abandoning her for them, not an option. Games, playing constantly on the internet. You Look, your wife is not your World of Warcraft buddy, right? She isn't your partner on there, some video. She's your wife. Don't trade her in for that stuff. Honor her maritally. You made your choice of a wife. 
And you may realize now that you didn't make the wisest choice. But you know what? It's too late to be meditating on that. It's time to move on. Stop meditating from, on that and start honoring your wife. Two, honor your wife physically. Honor her physically. Have you ever laid a hand on your wife? Or physically abused her? Or used your physical presence to intimidate her? Or given her the look that she had better shut up now? Then you're intimidating her. You're a bully intimidating your wife thinking it's okay to strongly put her in her place. And I want to be very clear about this. Those of you men who do this, you are fools. And I don't apologize for saying that. If I'm coming off too strongly, too bad. You're fools. And you need to get on your face and repent because you do not treat a woman that way ever. It's inexcusable inexcusable you need to repent these are god's daughters hear that these women belong to the lord you don't treat them as if they're your property to abuse it's not your job to make it's not your job to make your wife submit it's your job to love her it's the spirit of god's job to bring submission to her heart. Don't be bossy thinking you exist to be in charge, glorying in authority, glorying in authority and not submission. You know what I find is the guys who are the most bossy jerks at home, they're that way at the church as well. They refuse to submit to anybody's leadership ever. Third, honor your wife emotionally. Honor your wife emotionally. Don't cut her off and act like being a man. It's, not, it's the idea of not being emotionally connected. Like that emotionally connected stuff, that's for women, right? Look, let me just give you a confession. I bet most of you, I know I do. If you don't, then, then I might be wrong. But I bet most of you do and you won't admit it. I like chick flicks. Most of you guys do too, don't you? You, you won't admit it, but you do. At least Rob's man enough to admit it, Right? But you kind of do. You know you like Sleepless in Seattle or some of those, right? <laughs> Who didn't? But then we're like, no, 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 not me. No way. No, no. Too much emotional connection. That's for women. Look, God gave you emotions. You're allowed to use them. You don't have to cut them off. You need to know her, and she needs to know you, saying, you know what? I paid the bills. I wasn't harsh. I took her to church. That's not enough if you didn't pursue her. So don't have a that's for women attitude. You don't withhold love and affection and tenderness and care and emotion because that seems like being a woman and not a man. You may express it differently, but you're still created in God's image. Demonstrate to her that you love her. Some of you guys just need to hug your wife more. Or tell her you love her or be affectionate with her, not just the kind of affection that, you know, gets us in the bedroom. But actually tell her, I love you. I care for you. I, I am thankful for you. I thank my God for you. 
Just don't be physically present and emotionally absent is the point. You know where we come home and we check out completely? See ya. I paid the bills. I took care of everything. Now I'm checking out. Fifth. Oh, excuse me. Fourth. Honor your wife verbally. Honor your wife verbally. What do you do with your tongue? What do you do with your tongue? Are you sarcastic and harsh with her? You guys don't need to use sarcasm and harshness with your wife. You want to use sarcasm? You use it with some heretic who's trying to steal sheep away from the flock of God and destroy their lives. You don't use sarcasm with your wife or your children. Children don't get sarcasm. Have you guys understood that yet? They don't get it. Don't use it with them. Do you talk to her like you want... I'll just ask this. Do you guys talk to your wife like you want men talking to your daughters? Think about the way you've talked to your wife. How would you feel if some man talked to your daughter that way? Would you be okay with that? Your wife is God's daughter. You think he's okay with it? What do you say about her to others when you're off and she's not around? Do you speak well of her? Do you honor her? Verbally around others? Or do you trash talk her? Fifth, honor your wife financially. Honor her financially. Look, the man's curse is to provide for his family. It used to be his blessing. Now, because of the fall, it's his curse. That's his. That isn't hers. Don't ask her to bear your curse for you. Right? Don't ask her to bear your curse for you. Now, some of you are in situations where, guess what? That's the way it has to be because you weren't responsible and now here you are. Okay, that's the way it has to be. But guys, don't willingly choose, now that you know better, do not willingly choose to lead her into bearing your curse for you. It's one thing and the economy's falling apart and she has to work because the economy's falling apart. That's one issue. It's one thing if you got in some debt when you were young and stupid, and now you're having to figure it out, and she has to work. Those are different issues than saying, you know what? Uh, I don't want to pay all the bills. You're going to have to share. I'd like to own a nice Yukon, and I'd like to have a boat, and so you're going to work. Those are different sort of things. She is not responsible to bear your curse. God cursed the man with that. None of us share in her labor pains. And if you're some really nice guy who's a single guy who, you know, can't provide and you're just looking for a woman who has a good job so you can not have a nice house, right? You can't keep a good job or finish school or get up early because your alarm clock never works. Don't get married. Just mature, grow up, then get married. Six, honor your wife practically. Honor your wife practically. Help with the schedule. Help get life together. Don't just make her figure out how to adjust to your life. In other words, lead her in a direction. Don't be the guy who's the life of the party, who's charming and gets along with everybody, always joking. Everyone likes him, but no one respects him. And no one respects him because he can't keep his life together. He can't keep a job. 
He can gather a crowd. Listen, he can gather a crowd, but no one's following him because he isn't going anywhere. Howard Hendricks, um, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, used to say that um, used to say that if you're uh, if if you think you're a leader, but no one's following you, then all you're doing is taking a walk. Right? Single guys, if you're just hanging out and not going anywhere, then do women the favor of not making them the victims of your playtime. Grow up and get a direction before you get married. Seven, honor your wife parentally. It's your job to play with your kids and to pastor your kids and to provide for your kids and to protect your kids and to discipline your kids. It's your job. It's what God's given you to do. Did you know that all of the commands about how we discipline our children in the Bible are directed to who? Fathers. It doesn't say mothers, you know, raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Mothers, don't spare the rod. Mothers, teach them the word. What does it say? Fathers, 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 fathers. That's your job. You should be the leader in disciplining your children. That will honor your wife parentally. You will demonstrate honor to her because you don't expect her to take care of what is your God-given responsibility. I'm not saying your wife never disciplines. It's not my point. My point is that you are seen as the lead in discipline. Incidentally, I have seen time and time again that when the woman is the primary one disciplining the children, the children, especially male children, tend to disrespect their mom by the time they're teenagers tend to have no respect for her. You wonder why dad was a slouch and she was the one working and they don't respect mom because somewhere down in the way they've been created, they know that's not the way it was supposed to be. And mom was stepping outside of her role and dad was stepping outside of his role and now the child's confused. Dads, this is your responsibility. You should lead here. Don't make her lead here. You are going to make her into the bad guy in the family. Don't come home and check out. You get your wife and kids under good Bible teaching. Get them into a good church on a regular basis. Read the Bible with them. Pray with them. Seek to learn how to discipline better and apply it. Eighth, honor your wife spiritually. Being the spiritual leader, now I'm going to say this, being the spiritual leader doesn't mean um, that you're kind of some kind of hyper-spiritual oddball, right? Driscoll actually tells a story where, you know, the guy who tells, everything's a Bible reference. And so the guy's at the restaurant with his wife and children, and the waiter comes to the table, and he's pouring water. Oh, let me pour some water for you. And then the dad pipes out, you know, let me tell you about the water of life. Right? And the children are crawling under the table, hiding because their freak dad is, is embarrassing them. That is not what it means to disciple or to lead your family spiritually. So, how do you lead them spiritually? You lead them to a good church and you get them involved with it. You lead them into the Word and into prayer. And into making sure the schedule is clear so that your wife can have time 
to go to worship services regularly and small groups regularly so she can participate in the life of the body. Single guys, let me say this. If you're not growing spiritually, then don't sign up to lead someone else. Finally, the consequences of failure to obey. The consequence, there's a consequence that Peter gives here. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And then he says this, so that, important word. So here's why, here's the purpose. So that, what? Your prayers may not be hindered. Not only is there a command given us to live with our wives, to intimately know them and care for them as the weaker vessel, and a condition put onto it that it's such an intense command that we're showing honor to them as daughters of the Almighty Holy God, but there's a consequence to it if we don't fulfill our role. And the consequence is this. The consequence is that your prayers will be hindered. Did you hear that? Listen, man, there are three times in 1 Peter, three times in 1 Peter where it says God does not hear our prayers. The first one is in 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives understanding way. And he goes on, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now look at 3, 8. Finally, all of you, speaking to the whole church, not just the husbands here, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Whose? The righteous. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Doesn't hear the prayers of those who do evil. Chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. For what? For the sake of your prayers. For the sake of your prayers. We all know that prayer can help us live rightly, don't we? We all know that prayer can help us live rightly. Have you ever considered, however, that living rightly can help you pray? Thought about that? Consider that living rightly can help you pray. If you're unwilling to honor God's daughters, your wife, why would God want to hear your prayers? That's what Peter's saying. You better do this, guys, so that your prayers won't be hindered. It's a consequence. God will, re- will turn. God will turn from unrepentant sinners and cut off communion with them. And if you're not honoring your wife, if you're not living with her in an understanding way and you refuse to repent, God won't hear your prayers. Can you think of any consequence more frightening than that? I, I was thinking about that this morning, in fact. I, uh, I didn't want to come and preach. About 9 o'clock, I finally decided I'm not going to come and preach. Teresa and I have certain marital irritations, right? You guys all have them? Well, for us, one of our marital irritations is packing. 
to go on a trip. We were packing to go on a trip. She has a set of expectations as to how that's going to occur. And I have a set of expectations as to how that's going to occur. And 15 years of marriage, and she has not yet given in to my set of expectations, right? <laughs> as much as I would like her to, it is not going to happen, right? So I need to learn to live with my wife in an understanding way, right? And I just refuse to. Instead, I choose to live with her when it comes time to pack in a very irritated way. You guys ever have that with packing? Is that one of your, anybody else here when you're going on a trip? I want to leave at a certain time and have everything ready. And Teresa's like, that sounds good. And like two, three hours later, we're ready to go. Right? Because she's kind of, she likes to just kind of do her thing and get things together. And does a great job in most of the work, frankly. But it drives me insane. Right? And I'm a big jerk about it. And so... As I was upset with her this morning during our packing adventure, um, I started to feel like a huge jerk. I started to think to myself, um, what's wrong with you? You don't belong in the pulpit preaching this morning. You should never get into the pulpit. You should stay clear out of there. Maybe you should call up Jason and ask him, does he have a sermon ready to go? I'm not laying. I was on the bed thinking that because I was thinking to myself, I am not someone who deserves to be preaching currently. I shouldn't be getting in the pulpit. I'm not qualified for it. I'm going to stand up and tell these men how to be godly men, and I'm not going to be. Larry, can you keep the rest of the kids outside, please? And I'm not going to be a godly man? How can I get in that pulpit and shout at all them? And then I realized how I could get in the pulpit and shout at all you. <laughs> because I can shout at me too. Here's the bottom line. The gospel. The gospel. I had to sit there and get in the shower and sit there and meditate on the fact that I could do it. And you know how I could do it? You know why I could get back in here? Why I could be husband again? Because Jesus never fails to be a faithful husband. I fail all the time. He never does. And his lack of failure is credited to me. And my failure is paid for on the cross. Hear that, guys? That's the hope we have. The hope you have after you hear this isn't that you assessed yourself and realized, I did it perfectly. The hope you have after you hear this is that you assess yourself and said, man, there are some areas I need to repent. Thank God Jesus did not fail to fulfill his responsibility as the husband to his church and that his righteousness is credited to me. Thank God for that, that my sin is paid for by him. Now I can turn to him and I can see him there. See, as Satan, you know, tempts me to despair, you know that song, and tells me of the guilt within, upward, I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Let me pray. Lord, I am thankful for you and what you have done. The gift that you've given us in marriage. And Lord, what your son has done to live perfectly in our place, to pay our penalty on the cross so that we can rejoice in you so that we can be counted righteous, so that we can continue on loving our wives, learning to live with them in an understanding way, 
knowing that we don't have to wallow in guilt and shame, but that we can repent and turn to you and walk forward boldly as those who are able by the power of your spirit to keep your commands for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.